If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. You look good. But how do you feel? How about the stomach issues? Loss of muscle mass? Lacking energy? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? The answer is GNC. We have solutions that can help address those side effects and make sure you don't get knocked off your path. Because when it comes to living healthy, we're all about it. And that includes keeping you going on your GLP-1 journey. GNC. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about how to define abbreviations that you use over and over in a document, and a fun game you can play from an internet meme about fiction. And to finish off our little poetry kick from the last couple of weeks, I have a tidbit about a word that comes from an old nonsense poem, the owl and the pussycat, and the winner of the National Grammar Day Haiku Contest. Let's get started with abbreviations. A listener named Paul wrote, The guide that I was taught was to always precede the first use of an acronym to be placed inside parentheses by the full term. This makes logical sense. However, if one has done this, is it then a rule that all further mentions of that term should be replaced by the acronym? Which seems logical, else why have the acronym? What Paul was taught is right. You'd write something like, The World Health Organization and then put WHO in parentheses afterward, is headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland. The World Health Organization, WHO, is headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland. And then, every time you refer to the World Health Organization later in the document, you can simply call it the WHO. The Chicago Manual of Style has a particularly quantitative entry on the topic to help you know when to go through the effort of defining an abbreviation so you can use it. Chicago Section 10.3 says if your readers aren't likely to be familiar with the abbreviation, you should only abbreviate it if you're going to use it roughly five times or more in your document. And the book notes that you should never go through the effort of defining an abbreviation that you're not going to use again. What would be the point? I've seen people do it, but I've always hoped that it's because they meant to use the abbreviation again, but just never got around to it. In general, once you've defined an abbreviation, you should continue to use it. But one exception I've made in the past when I was working on long technical documents is that if I define an unfamiliar term and use it for a while, but then don't use it for a few chapters, I'll define it again at the beginning of a new chapter if I want to start using it again, just in case the reader forgot or took a long break from reading. I also caution against using too many abbreviations in one document. It can be hard to know which ones to choose, but I pity the readers of some government and technical documents I've seen that seem to have more abbreviations than actual words. And that's your quick and dirty tip. When you're defining an abbreviation, write out the words first, and then put the abbreviation in parentheses right afterward. Then, continue to use the abbreviation by itself throughout the document, unless you have a good reason to define it again. And don't get so carried away with abbreviations that your document becomes hard to read. If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. But how do you feel? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? 
Get to GNC. We'll help with solutions to address those side effects and keep you going on your journey. GNC. Hey, everybody. It's Rob Lowe here. If you haven't heard, I have a podcast that's called Literally with Rob Lowe. And basically, it's conversations I've had that really make you feel like you're pulling up a chair at an intimate dinner between myself and people that I admire, like Aaron Sorkin or Tiffany Haddish, Demi Moore, Chris Pratt, Michael J. Fox. There are new episodes out every Thursday. So subscribe, please, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Moving on, last week a fiction writer named Mark Laidlaw started an internet game by tweeting that the first line of almost any story can be improved by making sure the second line is, and then the murders began. As I'm recording this, his tweet has been retweeted more than 4,000 times. According to the website Know Your Meme, Neil Gaiman, who has more than 2.5 million followers, started the hashtag Laidlaw's Rule when he tweeted the second line after the first of A Christmas Carol. Marley was dead to begin with, and then the murders began. After the Gaiman tweet, the meme took off. First lines that I've seen appended over and over again include Peter Rabbit. Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits and their names were Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter. And then the murders began. The Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And then the murders began. A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And then the murders began. 1984. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. And then the murders began. And Mrs. Dalloway, I think this is my favorite. Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. And then the murders began. I could go on and on, but I won't. I read so many great tweets. I tried it with my own books, and it didn't go so well, though. For example, the first line of Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing is, We're all good at something. Which isn't a great lead-in for And Then the Murders Began. But I could fix it with a small edit. We're all good at something, she said. And then the murders began. <laughs> Give it a try with your favorite books. I bought one of Mark Laidlaw's ebooks to say thanks for all the fun I've had playing around with Laidlaw's rule. And a huge thank you to Chris Burdick for first pointing me to know your meme so I could catch up and be culturally literate. When I have spare time, I love looking through public domain collections of old books in art. And back in June, I discovered an online collection from the British Library that has a book called Nonsense Songs, Stories, Botany, and Alphabets by Edward Lear, written in 1870. And the book contains Lear's famous nonsense poem, The Owl and the Pussycat, that your parents may have read to you as a bedtime story. 
In the poem, the owl and the pussycat fall in love, get a wedding ring from a pig, and are married by a turkey. The thing that makes the owl and the pussycat a nonsense poem is that it uses made-up words, or nonsense words, such as the adjective runcible. Another nonsense poem we've talked about before is Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. He used far more nonsense words than Lear, including mimsy, galumphing, slithy, and wabe. Runcible is the primary nonsense word in The Owl and the Pussycat. After the wedding, it says the pair dined on mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. In later nonsense poems, Lear wrote about runcible hats, geese, cats, and walls. A runcible spoon wasn't a real thing at the time, but what I love about this story is that like Lewis Carroll's word galumphing, the phrase runcible spoon actually took on a meaning. Runcible alone is still nonsense, but if you look up runcible spoon in a dictionary today, you will find it. Lear's nonsense word became a real word in 1926, when, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, Notes and Queries published the line, A runcible spoon is a kind of fork, with three broad prongs or tines, one having a sharp edge, curved like a spoon, used with pickles. It still tells us nothing about what a runcible hat or runcible cat might look like, but at least we'll know a runcible spoon when we see one. The famous line from The Owl and the Pussycat that you may remember best is in the last line, after the wedding, when they danced by the light of the moon. I'll put a link in the transcript at quickanddirtytips.com to the scan of the book at the British Library, because the illustrations are fabulous, and it also has some of Lear's whimsical drawings, such as a plant he imagined called Menipeplia upsidedownia that looks like a bluebell plant that grows people instead of flowers. Finally, for the last few years, in honor of National Grammar Day, we've had a haiku contest on Twitter in collaboration with the American Copy Editors Society, and I've shared the winning haiku in the podcast, and this year is no different, except that we had a record number of entries. They were coming in so fast I lost track of the official count, but I feel safe saying that we had about 500 entries, so being number one is a big deal. And our winner was Colleen Sharkey, an Ohio native who now lives in Budapest, working as an international media relations manager for Central European University. This is her winning poem. With a pregnant pause, I calculate periods. Here come contractions. With a pregnant pause, I calculate periods. Here come contractions. The judges were charmed by the language-related wordplay. Congratulations, Colleen. I also have a shout-out to Amy, who listens in Ann Arbor while running through beautiful Gallup Park. Thanks for letting me know where you listen. And finally, I've enjoyed seeing all your hashtag tripod posts, T-R-Y-P-O-D, telling everyone about the new podcasts you're trying. Keep it up, and keep helping your friends get started listening, too. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find all my articles and old podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. But how do you feel? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? Get to GNC. We'll help with solutions to address those side effects and keep you going on your journey. GNC.
Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.